So we're beginning something a bit new. Uh, this was the first Sunday I have uh, been in the van on the way to Otter Creek and not felt a whole lot of anxiety. Uh, <laughs> so it was really nice, you know. Uh, it meant that uh, I was kinder to my family and, uh, and to other uh, people on the road. Um, so we, we've covered a lot uh, over the last several weeks. We've looked at four views of hell considered uh, just war theory and pacifism, uh, thought about uh, how we might understand the controversial issue of uh, women uh, in ministry and leadership roles. We navigated some stuff on science and faith. We talked about um, same-sex sexual activity, gay marriage, and transgenderism. So uh, we, we've covered a lot of, of difficult stuff, and I have been um, very encouraged by... Uh, the kindness, the respect uh, that, that has been, uh, and the openness that, that I think um, that you have shown. I've got no hate emails, believe it or not. <laughs> I just said all those crazy topics, and no one um, has, has been mean to me. So, you know, that's, that's actually quite surprising. Um, uh, I anticipated uh, something else. Um, but going through all this uh, reminds us that we can, in my opinion, and it's right, we can only navigate such difficult topics well if we are rooted in Christian faith and practice. Um, we need, as we've looked at the, the past year, we need to know the plot line of Scripture in order to understand uh, how we are oriented in this whole thing. We need to know basic theology to help us know where we're maybe going off the rails. Uh, this is why we looked at the Apostles' Creed. Um, we can't think we're the only person as individuals or even the only community who is listened to or is listening to God on such matters. Uh, we have to realize we're a part of a larger body and a body that's about 2,000 years old. Um, and uh, this requires us to, uh, to work hard sometimes. There is no room for uh, intellectual laziness uh, when we're dealing with such difficult matters. Um, the, I hope one of the things that showed up uh, from this is that the kind of ad hoc, simplistic approaches just are insufficient. Uh, they won't do. Um, we need uh, something more robust. And this is part of the reason we're going to lean into something different this week because um, it's a way of, of keeping our roots um, in the ground and uh, nourished. So I'm going to make an imperfect analogy of, uh, of, of where we might be going. So yes, there are going to be problems with this. It's not perfect, but maybe the general idea will get across. Uh, and I'm going to think about how we might compare our spiritual health to how we think about physical health. Um, the two kind of standard things on physical health, good diet, regular exercise. That's just kind of uh, bread and butter. Uh, which you're not supposed to have either of those, I guess, for physical health. But uh, the uh, standards for, you know, good diet, regular exercise. Um, and staying physically healthy is this kind of ongoing thing. It's sometimes boring. It's aided by routine over an extended period of time. And after a while, we might come to crave uh, healthy food and exercise, believe it or not. But... The ongoing, sometimes boring, routine, extended period uh, is, is part of sometimes staying healthy. Uh, as we navigated some of these controversial issues, 
or as some of you have maybe navigated crisis in your own life, uh, it might remind us of our need to stay healthy spiritually. Uh, that, and staying healthy spiritually is also going to require um, a similar kind of strategy where it has this ongoing, sometimes boring, aided by routine over extended period, but even that's something that we might come to crave. Um, staying healthy spiritually, we do need something like good diet and regular exercise, uh, and I'll talk about uh, how we might think of those metaphors. But we need good hearts um, so that we might be open and humble. We need strength uh, because it's not always easy. We need endurance and flexibility and keen minds. So, um, <clears throat> to stay healthy physically, and I'm trying to use the words to, uh, to stay healthy because, um, you know, it's possible to be healthy for a short period of time and then be unhealthy, and you can kind of go up and down. And sometimes I think that uh, we assume spiritual health is quite different, that you arrive and then there's no need to maintain. You just get to a place of spiritual health and you are good for the rest of your life, but, but it doesn't work that way. For a physical health... Um, uh, as I mentioned, it might be ongoing, it might be boring, um, and it might go over an extended period of time. To stay physically healthy, there may be seasons or times uh, where we do kind of intensive practices. You know, my wife talked me into doing Whole30 a few years ago. It was the worst 30 days of my life. Um, sometimes, you know, folks need to do certain uh, cleanses or fasting uh, or intense exercise. Uh, but with these kinds of, of things to stay physically healthy, those more intense practices are, are understood to be short-term, not sustainable for an extended period, and maybe uh, even unhealthy or unwise to try to keep uh, some of those more intense practices up. Uh, what's long-term sustainable, what's ideal for our physical health, is just kind of ongoing, good diet, regular exercise. So let me come back to the analogy with spiritual health. Um, I think... Once again, we might have this mistaken notion that spiritual health works in just the reverse way. Um, that um, it requires these intense experiences on the regular. Right? Physical health, we think these intense things, occasional. Uh, but we might be mistaken to think that uh, healthy spirituality means we have to have these intense experiences regularly. We have to always feel the goosebumps in praise or in singing. Uh, we need the latest trend uh, uh, in theology or the coolest new author. Um, but this kind of notion about how to stay spiritually healthy through these kind of intense peak moments is unwise and unsustainable. If you've pursued this, uh, you probably have experienced some burnout. Uh, this might result in guilt. What is wrong with me? Why am I not feeling like I used to feel about God. Or fatigue, this is exhausting. Uh, I just, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Apathy, perhaps? What's the point of pursuing this when I can't drum up those feelings anymore? Maybe disillusionment. Was all that stuff that I used to feel, was that just uh, tricking myself? Uh, maybe, maybe God doesn't really respond that way. Or perhaps even a sense of abandonment. Huh, maybe God just doesn't love me or feel that close to me. I know people around me talk about Jesus like he is uh, their boyfriend and they have this wonderful, loving relationship. Why doesn't he feel so present to me? 
Uh, and it's, I think, part of our problem is we assume that spiritual health means we have to have these peak moments, uh, these goosebumpy kind of things, uh, this intense intimacy uh, regularly. Uh, whereas, uh, I think the Christian tradition teaches us that uh, spiritual health, like physical health, is not about these intense moments regularly, although occasionally is, is important and there's nothing wrong with them, but what's long-term sustainable is that good diet and exercise. Ongoing, sometimes boring routines over an extended period. So good diet spiritually, we need as a church, we need scripture. Uh, there's just no way around it. This, um, this is our daily bread. Uh, and when I say scripture, uh, in this class, we have seen uh, that that does not just mean a few proof texts uh, that you get your daily Bible verse off of Instagram or whatever. I don't know. I'm not on social media. Um, uh, that should um, be sustainable. But that's like a crumb. That is hardly sustainable. We need scripture uh, breadth. This is why we've looked at the plot line and depth. Uh, we need to be willing to uh, or make space to go deep. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean uh, you all need to be um, Bible professors. Some of us are going to give our lives to this, uh, but we do need to make space for it. And that's something we're going to try to do in this class is to make additional space for us to read Scripture broadly and to go deep in it. Uh, and another part of a healthy spiritual diet is good theology. And this is why I think it's important to confess the Apostles' Creed. This is why we, we walked through this uh, a couple semesters ago. This is why my wife and I uh, teach our children the Creed, and we say it daily to them. Uh, not because we're trying to check a box that makes God love us more, but because we want them to know this is, this is good. This is, this is holy. Um, to know and to confess who God is, who Jesus is, and what he's done, who we are, and where things are going. So we need good diet, scripture, breadth and depth, and good theology. Uh, we also need exercise. Um, and so what kind of exercise might this look like? Well, I think prayer um, is obviously one of those. Um, and it, one of the, the classes that I got the best feedback from uh, was about a year and a half ago where I, I shared my own experience of praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, and this was... Um, and I bring this up because it's an example of this kind of routine uh, over an extended period of time that might sometimes seem boring but can have uh, this powerful depth to it. All prayer, prayer can be both ad-lib, just kind of telling God how you're doing. That's great, the kind of friendship prayer. Uh, but but um, formal prayers can also uh, give us words uh, when we don't know the words to say. So routine prayer. Uh, as part of our exercise, um, we need community exercise. Uh, I, one of the most sustaining things for, I think, Lauren and I has been um, our small group at Otter Creek uh, and our, the little oddball community we have there. And if any of you know our small group, you know it's a, it's a, it is a group of oddballs. Uh, we're kind of proud of it. Uh, but every time we get together, we share highs and lows. And that is a powerful experience. So we're not just talking football and vacations. Uh, although there's space for that, we do sometimes, especially because um, um, Mike uh, and Jeannie are Alabama fans, and so I'll certainly be bringing up uh, what just happened. Uh, and my high will be their low. Um, but, but there is something powerful over several years of walking with people through 
uh, their ups and their downs, um, kind of letting people in on what we're struggling with and uh, what we're celebrating. Um, and so this kind of community space uh, to be vulnerable, uh, where we know that these folks are committed to us at an appropriate level, uh, where we show each other hospitality. Man, that is good for the soul. And when crisis comes or when we're navigating controversy, uh, we have this, this uh, deeper roots um, to help us in that. So exercise, we've talked about prayer, community. Confession is important. Something we'll, we'll do in this class, don't worry, you're not going to actually say your, you know, what you've done, but just to acknowledge we have sinned and we need forgiveness uh, as a community um, can be an important aspect of, um, of being vulnerable, of being real, um, <clears throat> creating space for others to be real, and also to experience the forgiveness of God. Uh, if you've ever dealt with certain sins, or any kind of sin, um, you know there's, there's something powerful uh, when you've been trying to, to um, you know kind of in your head God might have forgiven you, but when you confess to another human being and they can verbally say, yeah, you are forgiven. It's like they can kind of stand in and tell you, and you can hear God speaking through them uh, words of life. Um, and the other piece of this exercise would be uh, serving. We love because we are loved. And that's very important. Um, if, uh, if we're going to be healthy spiritually, we can't just be taking it all in and not giving something back. Or else we become the physical equivalent of that guy who works out all the time just so he can take selfies or something like that, right? Just so he can wear his tank tops and show his pecs off. Uh, what's the point? Um, if, if our spiritual exercises are only um, self-centered, then, then we're already kind of missing something uh, very important. So, so for this class, trying to take seriously this idea um, of uh, needing deep roots that might require ongoing, sometimes boring routine over an extended period that we may come to crave. Um, I am going to transition this class to uh, the Sunday School being something like a modified form of liturgy, um, where uh, it gives space for a good diet and exercise. So um, what this is going to look like is uh, we will follow something of a liturgical calendar. It's going to be like Church of Christ liturgy, so don't get too anxious. Uh, uh, but one of the things that I, I like about the, um, the liturgical calendar, or, or just even uh, liturgy, is that they make space for breadth of Scripture. And this is one of the things I said, good diet requires breadth of Scripture. So we'll, we'll hear a passage from the Old Testament. We'll hear a passage from the Psalms. We'll hear a passage from the Gospels and from the New Testament. We need that breadth. And along the way, I... Uh, or someone else uh, will give um, uh, will give some um, commentary. So there'll still be this kind of depth to it as well. So I'll bring. I know some of you want to know what the New Testament scholar thinks about this stuff. I, I'm still going to make space for that because I think we don't just listen to scripture, but we study it. Um, and uh, I said, good diet requires scripture, breadth and depth. So we'll have space for that. And good theology. So we'll confess the creed. Uh, together, if you are comfortable doing that. Um, and so good diet and exercise. So part of that will be prayer. We'll say the Lord's Prayer as a community. Um, every week there is this thing called a collect, this kind of thoughtful prayer for the week. Um, and I would encourage you to take that with you and maybe pray it daily. Um, good exercise, as I mentioned, requires prayer, so we'll have space for that. Community, 
as we'll say things together in unison, there'll be places for response, for confession, and ideally this leads to serving. Now, my analogy of physical health and spiritual health breaks down probably in a number of ways. One that stands out to me um, is that it is possible, um, some of you may have grown up in liturgical traditions and you know that this can become a lifeless kind of rote response. Um, and that is, is not healthy either. Where This is, a, like I said, a breakdown of the analogy. You can kind of mindlessly, heartlessly exercise and eat right, and you might be healthy. Uh, but if you mindlessly and heartlessly uh, listen and, uh, and repeat some of the stuff in the liturgy, it's not uh, going to have the impact it can. This is more like, um, here is, is me setting the table, but it's up to you whether you're actually going to uh, take this in and digest it. Uh, but maybe even more importantly, uh, where this breaks down is uh, if we are to grow in Christ's likeness, uh, we can't do that alone. Uh, ultimately, we need the Spirit of God uh, to come and, and shape us and transform us. These exercises of listening and confession and all that um, cannot, um, cannot manufacture Christ's likeness in us. Uh, instead, it opens us to the Spirit who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I think it was John Ortberg uh, who made this very helpful um, metaphor uh, where he says we might think of such spiritual practices um, more like a sailboat than a rowboat. A rowboat, we think if I'm going to get somewhere, it's going to be all my effort. So it's just you pulling on the oars. Uh, Whereas a sailboat, you still do effort. You open the sails, you do whatever you do on a sailboat, I don't know. But ultimately, if you're going to get anywhere, it's going to be because the wind blows you somewhere. And you're not in control of the wind, you can't manufacture the wind. If you're going to make it somewhere, although you participate maybe in opening the sails, it's ultimately the wind, the spirit, uh, that gets us where we are going. And so what we are going to be doing in this class is essentially opening up our sails so that the Holy Spirit might shape us as, uh, as is needed. So... Um, we are going to ease into uh, this today and what is maybe the kind of ideal Sunday to begin thinking uh, a bit more liturgically, and that's the first Sunday of Advent, uh, when the church enters into the rhythm of awaiting the Messiah. So why do we do this? Are we just being kind of weird and Catholic right now? No, I don't think so, Um, although I think we have things to learn from Catholic tradition. Uh, Instead, I think we might be learning a lesson from Israel. Uh, If you read the Old Testament, uh, you'll see that that God, um, he set up these rhythms of life for Israel. There is a weekly Sabbath. Uh, There are three festivals a year, Um, uh, because it's like God knows that, that we kind of work in rhythms. You know what it feels like, like Sunday night, and you're like, oh, i got to go to work Monday, right? You don't feel quite the same way on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, but something about Sunday night, you feel it. Or Friday, you just you have a little bit more lightness if you know the weekend's ahead of you. We just kind of naturally are rhythmic animals. Uh, and it's like God knows that, that we, um, we operate with rhythms. Uh, and so he builds rhythms into Israel's... Uh, week and into their year and even to their every 50 years. Um, And uh, one of those rhythms is Passover. Uh, And they don't just, one of the cool things about Passover um, is not that they just kind of get together and they have a meal. 
but it, they begin, they reenact it a little bit. They relive it some. They wear certain things. They don't put leaven in the bread. Uh, and you get this kind of first-person plural language uh, when Israel talks about we were slaves and we've been delivered and God freed us. And people who are saying these things are generations later. Uh, but it's like God has invited them to, no, find yourself in this rhythm. Find yourself in this story. What I did for them, in a sense, I've also done for you. Uh, so Israel teaches us this kind of, of rhythm of finding ourselves in the story. Uh, and so Advent seems an ideal time um, to do something like this. Um, in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, I can just read this to you. Uh, if you'll trust me, um, get my photos. In Ephesians 2, Paul gives this interesting um, interesting advice to his Gentile audience. He says, <clears throat> remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, remember that you were with, at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So Paul seems to be telling the, his Ephesian audience, don't forget where you've come from. At one point, you were Gentiles. Now this is an interesting thing to say in the Roman world because if you're a Jew, you divide the world, Jews and Gentiles. But if you're in Ephesus, you're not thinking about the world as Jew and Gentile. Those are Jewish categories. But Paul's like saying, no, you have a whole new way of looking at the world. And because of that, you need to now remember that at one time, you were Gentiles. You were outside. He goes on to say, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget where you would be without Christ. Advent is this natural time for us to think about where we might be without Christ. It's easy to take Christ for granted um, since uh, he has been part of our history for 2,000 years. Uh, but there is something healthy, it seems to be, uh, about imagining where we might be without Jesus. What desperate situation we might be, especially since probably 99% of us are actually Gentiles outside of the covenant. That's one piece of Advent, remembering where we had been and where we would be without Christ. But the other piece of Advent is um, thinking not, not about our past, but about our future. Uh, we are awaiting Jesus' Advent, his return, even now, where he will finish the work he's began. Uh, and, and it orients our hope. Uh, we don't put our hope in uh, the best government or the best economy, although we would like good government and good economy. But our ultimate hope uh, is that Jesus is going to return and set things right. And so one of the beautiful things of the rhythm of Advent can be as it reminds us, as it reminds us of our past and it orients us toward our future, uh, it can help inform our present. I know where I've been and I know where I'm going and so I know better than how to be in this moment. So this morning, towards that end, uh, we're going to do a few things. Uh, I'll have this confessional reading, a few scriptures, and a pro uh, we'll sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, say the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. So if, uh, 
I get my lovely assistant uh, here to uh, to help me, and uh, and my less lovely assistant uh, maybe helps him to. Uh, I just <laughs> yes, that's right. I can get Sally's handsome assistant um, to help pass this out, and then I'll walk us through this. And this will give us a little preview of what we'll be doing in the weeks to come. As we make space for the Spirit of God to shape us, as we try to get good diet and exercise, and these ongoing, sometimes boring, things that routines uh, over an extended period of time. So we will get an extra there. So while that's getting finished being passed around, you might just read the confession silently. Um, this is a kind of daily, this is a confession that's made daily in the, um, the daily office of the Anglican Church. This isn't something I made up. I find it beautiful. Uh, but I never like being asked to confess something publicly that I haven't read um, prior. So take a second, read over that little paragraph under confession, and then I will invite us to say it together. So my own experience of doing this daily, um, this has, has been um, so powerful for me uh, to realize that there's the wisdom of, of, um, of some of our, uh, our older churches has seen the need to have this kind of meaningful confession on a daily basis, recognizing our own need, um, our ongoing need for this. So if you're willing... Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And then I'll pray this brief prayer for all of us. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. So now um, I'll read Psalm 122. Uh, This is traditionally seen as a psalm of ascent, maybe being uh, sung on the way uh, to Jerusalem uh, for these annual um, celebrations. And you see the hope of Jerusalem um, voiced here. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. You hear voiced here this desire for what Jerusalem was meant to be. This place of peace and justice uh, that was to be a light to the world about what it means when a people turn to God and follow Him wholeheartedly. This beautiful hope and desire. But our next reading is Isaiah 2. And before I read Isaiah 2, which also shows something um, of the, uh, the later hope of Jerusalem, we might be aware of the stark reality of Isaiah 1 that precedes it, where uh, there is this lament where Israel and Jerusalem have not been the people that they were called to be. Rather than justice, there is injustice. Um, and God can even say things like, uh, your celebrations um, and, uh, and feasts are distasteful to me. Uh, there's this recognition of the, the great kind of brokenness um, in Jerusalem and around Israel. Um, so there is a, a reality. You get the hope in Psalm 122, followed by the grave disappointment in Isaiah 1. And now when we turn to Isaiah 2, we see hope of, uh, of restoration. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord." What Jerusalem has failed to be, God will ensure will happen. And we await the Messiah uh, with Israel to make that happen. So if my wife will lead us in singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because I'm tone deaf. And we can think as we sing uh, these words, um, how Israel might have sung this, awaiting the restoration of Jerusalem, awaiting Jerusalem to be what it was meant to be.
Romans 13, we see that we are once again awaiting for Jesus to return and bring the fullness of his salvation. So Paul writes, You know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness. And put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day. Not in reveling and drunkenness. Not in debauchery and licentiousness. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We are waiting for Jesus to return and bring salvation. And Paul is calling us to wait for that salvation in a way that befits the nature of that salvation. If justice and holiness is going to be set forth, then we strive to live lives of justice and holiness uh, as we await the Savior who will make that happen. It makes no sense to wait for Jesus to bring restoration in a way that is in conflict with the restoration He is bringing. And so as we remember where we've been, and as we anticipate where we're going, we live in the present wisely. And Matthew writes, um, Jesus saying, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Um, As Jesus speaks of his future return, you get this juxtaposition of the certainty of his return. This is kind of core Christian teaching. We confess this in the Creed. He will return and set things right. And alongside that, there's the uncertainty of the timing. The certainty of the return, the uncertainty of the timing. And the call then is to be ready. As we read broadly in scripture we are reminded that jesus is not just this um kind sweet figure although he is kind and gentle uh, but that he also uh, calls us to holiness uh, the kind of holiness that we see in the old testament Uh, there is not conflict uh, there 
And so when we take seriously the certainty of his return and the uncertainty of his timing, uh, the expectation is that we live in readiness. Readiness does not look like uh, selling all we have and quitting our jobs and just looking up at the sky. Readiness looks kind of like Paul was teaching, that we seek to live faithful lives, uh, that if we confess Jesus as king, we live as faithful subjects of that king. That's what readiness looks like. So we know where we've been, and we know where we're going. We know better how to await his return now. So, as we think about uh, the hope of salvation, of things being set right to come, we once again sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This time, um, not from the perspective of Israel awaiting Jesus' first arrival, but from our own contemporary situation awaiting his second arrival. Lauren? keep us rooted, um, we say the Apostles' Creed together. Um, for those who have not followed us um, uh, through with this, when we say confess the Holy Catholic Church, that's lowercase c Catholic. That means church universal. Across uh, the church, across nations, across time, across socioeconomics, across ethnic um, uh, differences. So, Let's confess this creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, we'll say it maybe the traditional way that we tend to say uh, on Sunday mornings. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So I will close in just a second with uh, reading the collect. My, um, my maybe challenge or whatever for you might be this week, 
take a couple of these elements with you and, 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 and work them into your daily uh, practice. Maybe saying this prayer, maybe confessing the creed, or uh, maybe even singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel um, uh, throughout the week uh, to, to keep us oriented, uh, to kind of find that rhythm, reminding us of where we've been and where we're going. Um, on future Sundays, uh, as I'm doing this, there will be less of this kind of uh, 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 preamble, and we'll spend more time in the scripture and uh, kind of unpacking it. Uh, but I didn't have time for that today. Uh, so if you're curious what things are going to look like. So I'll close us out with this prayer. God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility. That in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty, to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, go in peace.